1: As always, it's great to have you here with us, and happy Friday. I want to send a special shout-out to all my tweets, all my fun followers on Twitter who always join us for Go Green Radio. We have a great show, as always, for you today, um, but I want to make sure that you know. I want to hear from you as well. So if at any point you have a question, you have a comment that you want to interject, I want you to feel very comfortable doing that. The number to call in is one eight six six. Four seven two five seven eight eight, and so don't be shy. We've got a great guest today and a great topic to talk about. So at any time, we want your comments. We want your input. Um, you know, we've got so many challenges facing us today, and sometimes it feels like, wow, uh, it's an awful lot. But the fact is, just about every generation of Americans has had to deal with a lot of the problems that we face today. There have been other generations of Americans who've dealt with war, with poverty, unemployment, uh, political infighting and outfighting of all kinds but we're really the first generation of Americans to face the kind of ecological challenges that threaten not just nature, you know, trees, spotted owls, but actually threaten the foundation of our our economy and our way of life. And it's pretty clear to all of us that we can't just keep proceeding with business as usual and today We have Wally Baker, the chairman of the Green Tech Foundation. He's going to join us and talk about his organization and how they're bringing together some very progressive minds and uh, some really very, very smart people and bridging the gap between science and innovation and actual business applications. And, Wally, we are so excited to have you. Welcome to Go Green Radio.
2: Thanks. Glad to be here.
1: Well, we're going to be talking about Green Tech Foundation, your organization. And for anybody who wants to hop on their website, don't go away from Go Green Radio. Open a new page. Open a new window. And this is the website you want to check out. It's www.tgtf.org, thegreentechfoundation.org. And so we're going to be talking to Wally. Wally, let's begin at the beginning. When did you form the Green Tech Foundation, and what was kind of the impetus? For its creation,
2: it's it's been about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Um, the reason I did it, I wanted to put together so, an approach where I could make a difference. I kind of felt like I have received a lot of benefits over the years. People have helped me, and you know, I just felt like you know, I was in a place where I want to pay back. You know, I want to give back. So that kind of started the process. And then I looked at a lot of my experiences and my friends, and we all chatted about, you know, what could we do together potentially to make a difference. And uh, that's how I came up with the Green Tech Foundation, coming up with a bridge to the new green economy.
1: Well, tell us more about the mission and the goals of the Green Tech Foundation. What is it that you hope or intend to accomplish with the organization?
2: Well, what I am trying to accomplish is to help with technology in particular, uh, applied science, you know, you can call it, as opposed to th- uh, sitting around talking about it. I'm trying to find science that will help us um Resolve some of the problems that we have. I've been involved historically with goods movement, international trade, uh, and um, the pollution that comes around that, and started something called the Green Freight Initiative maybe about four or five years ago. So, you know, all of that kind of led me to realize that you need science, and so uh, our mission is to use applied science and communication to uh, define the new green economy, which I think is something that's pretty hard to define. So um, that was our fundamental goal or mission was to uh, help define what science would work
1: and what science uh,
2: is already there.
1: I love it. And, you know, you have a really impressive board. I was out on your website, and they are a very eclectic, in terms of background and perspective, group of individuals. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell our listeners about them and why their various, Skill sets are important to the goals of the Green Tech Foundation. Um, let us know about you know where they come from, what their value to your organization is.
2: Well, Leon Billings uh, is one of the, in fact, I think is considered the staff author of the Clean Air Act and Clean Water Act in the seventies. Mm-hmm. This is um, the rewriting of that under Ed Muskie, who was the senator that he was chief of staff for for fifteen years. Uh, rewriting of that turned everything. Um, at the time, um, the Cuyahoga River was on fire, and Congress decided, you, uh, many of those who had not didn't really consider themselves environmentalists decided, we've got to do something about this. This is completely unacceptable. Mm-hmm. I mean, pollution is really bad. So um, that's when uh, he went to work and spent a number of of uh, hours and years, uh, putting it together, getting the buy-in of the different leaders in the Senate and Congress generally to rewrite the Clean Air and Clean Water Act so that it had um, much more social and um, um, health benefits than it did have. So Leon is someone I've known for some time, and um, he's an extremely brilliant and unique and down-to-earth person. Uh, and you would think he's a lawyer, but he's not. <laughs> everything about the concepts behind the law and everything. So just having him and working with him is you know, part of why I formed the advisory board the way I did. Another board member, Ken Dozier, is the executive director of at University of Southern California for Western Research Application Center. Ken is the one person that I've heard in the last 20 years that inspired me to understand what and how things can come together in our economy from the technology perspective and how all of that has to fit and must fit and go forward. So when you really want to get scared about the future, talk to Ken. Because he <laughs> can really make you go, oh my God. You know. But um, he's a wonderful, brilliant guy. And um, the next one, uh, Stephen Erie, Dr. Stephen Erie from UC San Diego, somebody that I've worked with also uh, over the years in the in goods movement, uh, water, you know, water issues. Uh, and he runs the Urban Studies and Planning Program at UCSD mm-hmm. and has written a number of books on the Los Angeles and Southern California economy. And Jack Kaiser uh is another member. He is chief economist of the LA Economic Development Corporation. This is a group I was with for about ten years before I left about two years ago to start Green Tech Foundation and uh he's considered the guru of the LA economy. Mm-hmm. Um, we have breakfast every Saturday so, you know, we stay in touch a lot. And these are all people that I've learned, you know, uh, can come together and make something happen. Peter Payton is uh, secretary, uh, I think he's now chair of the uh, uh, legislative group for the International Longshore and Warehouse Workers Union, extremely bright guy, um, and sees the uh, and understands how technology fits into goods movement. And here in Southern California, I'm a bit local-driven for the last year or so, but This movement of cargo is a huge, huge uh, air quality issue, and uh, he actually understands why we need to solve that problem and how we need to go about it. Well, Well,
1: and the the interesting thing about that is that though it, it has its genesis in Southern California or in port cities, it's actually a national issue because the more difficult it is to move goods out of the ports of Long Beach or Portland or wherever they happen to be on the West Coast, um, the more backed up that cargo gets and the more air pollution problems you guys have as a result of not being able to whip it across the country as fast as we'd like yeah. or even across the state. So while, you know, I, I, I want to make sure that all of our Go Green radio listeners from other states realize this is an issue for all of us to address. I mean, this is really a national movement of goods issue.
2: Well, and here's what I found in this, Jill, and you may see the similar kind of thing if you can isolate a sort of a mini economic sector and you can go about that in a thoughtful way um, you can you know facilitate change to prove certain things do and can work Mm -hmm. Uh, and that can be applied to every port, but really you can start off with trucks and trains and uh, equipment in that port and then then the ones that serve that port, and eventually you're going to every retail store. You know, the cargo going through L.A. and Long Beach represents about 40% of all the nation's imports and exports. Amazing. It is amazing. Now, every single box every single can as they call it container mm-hmm. goes through southern california i mean it starts in the water basically and goes through to nevada arizona so every piece of that 40% goes through a very huge economy right the 12th or 13th
1: largest in the world right so la long beach right. right and and so folks that are listening in cleveland or missouri when you're going to a retail outlet and buying certain goods that have come from our port cities in California, you understand that you know this, the air quality issues and the movement of good issues, which certainly have an impact on the environment in Southern California, um, the way that we move those goods to you via either truck, train, or what have you, affects the air quality and, and environmental quality elsewhere. You know... On your website, Wally, you have a statement that I want to highlight because I really find it interesting, and I'd like for you to expound on this statement for our listeners. You say, the Green Tech Foundation will work to fulfill the promise of technology and explain the message of the new green economy. I want to start with the phrase, the promise of technology. What is the promise of technology, Wally? Well,
2: technology uh, is the thing that has improved our air. Uh, And it's improved our water. Improved our (laughs) lives. Absolutely, absolutely. And of course we many times I personally like to associate it with the iPhone, you know, or the BlackBerry, but that's really not what I'm talking about. I mean that's improved in the internet. Those have improved our lives and our knowledge, but much more so there's three kinds of technologies, okay? There is the technologies we have now and we know about there's the technologies that we've really kind of created. They've come out of research and development or they're in research and development. We know they're going to happen, but they haven't gotten into the marketplace. Then there's technology to solve problems, uh, that we can't, we don't have. We know we have this problem, but we can't solve it with a technology just yet. I the see. third so paradigm is the hardest thing to deal with, but it turns out to be where the big money is. Let me give you a good
1: example. This is what turned me on to this. You know Marshall's. what, Wally? Yeah. We're going to talk about that right after the break. We've got to go to a commercial break in just a moment, but this is the perfect thing to talk about. And I know that our Go Green Radio listeners are going to want to hear about this example that you've got. Folks, don't go away. There's much more with Wally Baker right after these commercial breaks. Right back in a moment with more Go Green Radio.
0: world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Now, Mrs. Johnson, before we close on your mortgage loan, I want to make sure you remember Mike. Hi, you can trust me. I'm African American, just like you. So here's the low monthly payments and interest rates we promised, and here's where they triple. The rest of this stuff is just here to make sure that we get your house when you
3: can't pay us back.
0: What a lovely house. Predatory lenders are never this easy to
2: spot. Call us at 866-222-FAIR and protect yourself with the
0: facts. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Fair Housing Alliance and the Ad Council
3: Every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel.
1: Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like... Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people, grunt if you have to yeah be like oh, uh, oh, uh, oh there you go
0: you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent when you adopt a child from foster care just being there makes all the difference to learn more call 1-888-200-4005 a public service announcement brought to you by adopt us kids the u.s department of health and human services and the ad council the internet's number one talk station number one talk station VoiceAmerica.com.
1: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad for you to join us this week. We have a really special guest that is covering a topic that, frankly, we haven't covered really in depth on Go Green Radio thus far, and that is bridging the gap between technology, either technology that does exist or technology that is yet to be discovered, and the solution to some of the problems that we have that we're seeing around us in the environment today, We're fortunate to be joined by Wally Baker, who is the chairman of the Green Tech Foundation. If you want to be looking at his website while we're talking with him today, go to www.tgtf.org. Wally, thanks so much for joining us on Go Green Radio. We're so glad you're here. Great. Thanks for having me, Jill. Well, you know, right before the break, you were getting ready to tell us about, you, you mentioned three types of technology, and you were getting ready to talk about the third type of technology that's out there, and that is the technology that has yet to be discovered or yet to be honed. Um, and, and you were going to tell us a story. Pick us up right where we left off, Wally.
2: Well, when when they wrote, rewrote, we always have had a clean air by the way, but mm-hmm. in the 70s it, it became very obvious that the one, we had just didn't work so when they rewrote that uh, clean air act uh, no member of congress could be told if we do this here's what we're going to do that will solve this problem there was no technology really to or or solution that they knew of right then and there if we do this everything will go great they because only,
1: that's much like the Kyoto Protocol right now. A lot of yeah, people there's, there's no technology to, to meet those. Exactly.
2: But here's what was fascinating to me. Uh, and this is where you know, the crux of this thing comes from. Leon and I were talking about this. And I said, well, <laughs> you're telling me Republicans and Democrats, you know, Easterners, Westerners, coastal, inland people, all those members basically got behind this act. And they didn't have a solution. He said, "Right, that's exactly right." He said, "But we did use a solution. As this is something that you know, this is potentially a solution." And he said, "And we used to privately giggle among ourselves that what a joke this is." But it's the best example we could come up with. And that one well, maybe not a joke, but <laughs> this is like nobody's going to believe this. It was something called the catalytic converter. And they thought, what a goofy, crazy idea. Here's why? Every gas station is going to have to change their tank because it can only use unleaded gasoline, which we don't even make. <laughs> and of course... Right. Standard and now going to be a <laughs> separate tank, it's gonna be unleaded, and we can put one of these on every car manufactured. You know how hard it is to work with the automotive industry just to change a mirror on a car? I mean, you know so he said, We all said this. Well, you know, the Calais converter is a good example of technology, ha ha ha. But you know, frankly, it's gonna be something else. He said, of all the innovations in the whole world that have ever been created, the catalytic converter probably turns out to be the most amazing, and it's done more to improve our air than any single technology. And he said, but at the time, we looked at it, and we knew it was the only thing we could point to, the only thing that was out there that we could point to. So um, it just shows you how unforeseeable the uh, solutions sometimes are. But you have to also have the faith and you also have to have pretty good direction and principles to solve the problem. So uh, that whole scenario that, that's behind that kind of typifies what we know exists, what is soon to exist, and what doesn't, we don't think exists, and sometimes it's just our thinking, uh, that can solve a problem with technology. And the reason technology is so important is... It tends, it, it has the cost effectiveness. It has, it plays into the science. And science is totally what drives the Clean Air Act and Clean Water Act, uh, in terms, and you can say, you know, you, there's certain sciences you don't agree with, but it is a, it is a, uh, process and it is a policy based on
1: science. Well, and I like talking about this type of science, like problem solving science. Sometimes when we talk about the science, uh, that, that people will refer to um, when they're talking about global warming and things like that, um, it, it's, it's not solutions-based. It's kind of fearful for a lot of folks. Um, and, and while some people are uh, you know, motivated by fear, a lot of people aren't, so I think that what you're talking about is really exciting, it's motivating, it brings out the best in us that, hey, yes, we can solve the problems mm-hmm. that we're seeing around us. And I think that's a perfect segue into what I'd like to ask you next. You, you talk about this green economy. Mm-hmm. What is that? Tell us what your your vision of the green economy is. Well,
2: to me, you can you can base your economy on... Like in California, for example, cities really base a lot of their economy on retail sales because they get a piece of the sales tax. So in terms of that, they really, sales tax drives and retail and commerce in their city drives them to uh, bring business there to grow and then they have tax money to do all the goods and services that governments are supposed to do. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, when you look at that, uh, that is a way to approach the economy. I've talked to, you know, economists, and of course I have a few that I know from working at the L Economic Development Corps, but uh, I said to them early on, can you do an economy based on green? And they said, absolutely. And uh, what is it that's the challenge? I mean, what is it that we really need to work at? And their bottom line was, we need to be able to track data. And we don't have any data. So when you ask the question, what is a green economy? You know, one answer is that's a great question because we need to answer that. Are the people, all the people that work at Southern California Edison, green workers? Are just the ones who work in renewable energy? Are the ones who work in a nuclear power plant in Edison, green employees? So we don't have any way, really. If somebody says, we're going to grow the green jobs, I immediately think, well, that's a nice concept. Where's your numbers? Because we don't have the data. Now, we don't keep, in our normal economy, the federal government and state government have cut back and cut back and cut back on the data that they keep. So this is going to make forecasting and those kinds of things very, very difficult. So when you say, we're going to grow the green economy in in California – totally agree with that and that can be done but in many ways we don't have the tools because we can't even today say how many green jobs do we grow in the last 10 years with any certainty you kind of have to um you know uh, look at the numbers and that are out there and kind of come up with your own definition of what's in the green economy and what's not so knowing how many we're going to create in the
1: future is very difficult they may not
2: even be creating california
1: Right, well, and a lot of people are struggling to define the green economy as we hear about federal dollars possibly being placed into the green economy. Everybody wants to define themselves that way. (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, it's not hard to figure out why. If there's money involved, then help me in. I'm I'm in the green economy. But the fact is, you know, with any... Uh, definition of whether it's manufacturing economy or high-tech, you know, economy or uh, an amalgamation of of a regional economy, um, part of what you have to look at is um, the 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 research and development that's involved in that, the the jobs that are created and the jobs that are sustained, the wages. Uh, A sustainable economy, whether it's green or otherwise, has to be one that, um, you know, companies involved and people involved, and make a, a good wage that you know, motivates more people to be involved in that economy. Right. And that's, yep. that's the challenge right now, is right. to even put your arms around what that would mean in terms of the green economy.
2: And economists will tell you, you know, really so. When you hear the unemployment rate, you know, that is tracked. It's part of reporting. And, you know, if you're an employer, you have to tell the federal government. And eventually all, that num- all those numbers work into the non-farm unemployment rate. Mm -hmm. We don't even have the data sets to feed into that. So that's one of the big challenges to me because I do think – you can, we can have a green economy, but we won't know if we're doing it or we're successful unless we can keep track of it. <laughs> you know, we gotta keep score, and uh, once we start keeping score, then we can compete against ourselves, which is exactly what you want to be able to do. You can't have a green economy if people aren't competing uh, against their performance from the past. So that is a humongous challenge. So when I talk about the new green economy, it isn't just the fog out there which is wonderful you know it isn't just the policy out there which is wonderful it's right down at the tangible practical challenges and and we can solve this we can do this but we first have to realize what is a green job what is that definition and then how do we keep track of it, and uh, how do we know we're succeeding at growing the green economy? This will take a long time, but still, it's a question of making that commitment. But the economists tell me, uh, business and academic and others, all of them agree, yes, you could take and approach this from a green economy.
1: Well, and I think that you know what's really interesting is that you're talking about communicating this message of the green economy to a worldwide audience. I mean, I have a sense for why that's important, but tell us why the Green Tech Foundation believes that's so important. Well, honestly,
2: if we sat down and did an exercise and said, um, what should our goal and mission be in terms of dealing with the environment, and we decided it was greenhouse gas, that would be something we want to do, um, we've got to really uh, look hard at how we approach that. And um, uh, uh, we'd probably be better off trying to help China solve this problem than we are helping ourselves solve our own at this point
1: with Greenhouse. Well, let's talk about that more because I'm actually heading over to China soon. We'll talk about that more after the break. Folks, don't go away. We'll be right back with more Go Green Radio in just a few.
3: No excuses, no delays. If you have goals you want to achieve or changes you need to make, then it's time to take charge of your life with America's change buddy, Nancy Christie. This show will help you lead a more productive and fulfilling life starting now. Take Charge of Your Life challenges you to expand your sense of possibilities. Take Charge of Your Life with Nancy Christie is broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America. Let change be a positive force in your life.
0: For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: Welcome back to Go Green Radio, and happy Friday to all of you. Um, we are really talking about something tremendously important today, um, something that we really cannot solve our environmental problems without, and that is smart technology and innovation. And we're talking to someone who's helping to bridge the gap between uh, where we are today in terms of our environmental status and where we could be, improvements that we could make in the future through the use of innovative thinkers, technology, and businesses who are willing to bring those innovations to market on behalf of all of our well-being. We're talking to Wally Baker. He's the chairman of the Green Tech Foundation. If you want to check out his website while we speak, open a new window in your browser and go to www.tgtf.org. That's tgtf.org. Wally, thank you so much for joining us on Go Green Radio. Glad to be here, Jill. Thank you. Well, before we went to break, we began to talk about something that I think is tremendously important, and that is communicating this idea and this concept of green, the green economy and, and technological innovations to a worldwide audience. And you began to mention uh, helping China with some of their problems and for some folks, that seems like, gosh, they're another world away. It has nothing to do with us in the U.S., but I do a lot of really positive work with the Chinese and with the business community in China. I'll be heading over there on Earth Day, as a matter of fact, but I want I want to hear what you, I want you to finish your thought about why it might be important for us to work with China uh, to solve even our uh, environmental problems. So please finish that thought.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard a lot of discussion uh... And, and really buy into much of it as it relates to greenhouse gas. So I actually believe we can make a difference with uh, our greenhouse gas uh, output. What I also realize is that, and what makes greenhouse gas a different uh, uh, pollutant, and it's really not a pollutant, but a, a different econo- environmental challenge, is that it uh, is not a health risk. Most of the things I've worked on and the Clean Air Act and Clean Water Act work on are health risk. There are uh, parts of it, you know, I can't say it isn't a health risk altogether, but methane is terrible stuff and it's part of the greenhouse gases. And black carbon isn't in Kyoto, but it should be. So there are certainly parts of that that, you know, make a lot of sense. But in terms of are we going to do something about it, you know, I think we have to set a good example. I think we have to do things that, you know, that we can do uh, immediately. But I think whatever we could do, if I really wanted to have the most impact I could possibly have, I would come up with a mission or goal that would help China reduce its greenhouse gas impact or and help China with its uh, green economy. Because uh, I still think the new green economy is to be defined. it is not. I mean we talk about it, but like I say, it has to get down to data sets, it has to get down to measurement and to know uh, you know that your uh, your footprint has changed so
1: well, and it 's interesting because last year, I was a speaker at the the first annual green business summit in Beijing last year on Earth Day and this was convened by the China Entrepreneurs Club. They are the equivalent of what we would consider our Fortune 50 companies, the 50 largest companies in China, very successful business people. And their goal is incredibly audacious. And they, they understand that it may take some time to get there, but they're moving in a very audacious direction, and that is very simply a carbon-neutral economy. And I think that that is pretty inspiring. I mean, it really changes the way that every company and every industry looks at what they're doing. If the ultimate goal is a carbon-neutral economy, that's a whole different mindset than some of the sort of incremental goals that we tend to talk about here in the U.S.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, you're going to have to look at maybe the same principles that we use in in, uh, Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, or different ones. And... um, if someone finds the way to quantify that, um, and of course that means science again, mm-hmm. but if somebody finds the way to really quantify that, then that is uh, changing behavior is absolutely the cheapest and fastest way to improve anything. And it's also the hardest way to get the job done because we just don't really want to change our behavior on certain things. You know.
1: That is so true. Now, one of the functions of the Green Tech Foundation mm-hmm. is... To, to, to serve as sort of a platform for this worldwide communication on these issues. Right. I had a guest on Go Green Radio a couple of weeks ago, and she shared with us that 1.6 billion people on the planet don't even have electricity. How are you addressing this idea of worldwide communication and working on these solutions to engage you know, even those folks in this effort?
2: Well, I think that, um, you know, the folks in China are on the right track, and so are we. I think that it has to come through the economy as well. It has to be uh rewarded that we do certain things and uh not other things. So um, what those items are is another issue. But, you know, we know in, in Africa, a friend of mine, Bob Hertzberg, has a company in uh, Europe, that makes uh solar cells that you can plug into your cell phone. So that allows somebody who has no other utility to plug in that little uh, solar panel which is, you know, maybe the size of your hand, uh into a cell phone and they're suddenly able they may not have electricity, running water, or anything else, but they can have a cell phone because the sun can recharge the cell phone, so Brilliant. the communication thing uh, worldwide is a major challenge. But mostly, it has to be driven by uh, you know the economy, behavior, and uh, you know certain you know key principles.
1: Mm-hmm. And let me ask you this, Wally: This is kind of one of those kumbaya questions, but I think it's really important for people to understand because your organization is about 18 months old, um, it's great for people to know where you intend to go, what your vision is. If the Green Tech Foundation meets your greatest hopes and goals, how do you think things will be different 5, 10, 50 years from now? Will the world have changed somehow? And if so, what can you envision as the best possible outcome of your work? Uh,
2: I say that environmentalism has gone through two phases, and we're in the third phase. I think the first phase was personality-driven, you know, Ansel Adams, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second phase has been staff-driven. That's where you have the environmental organizations who do the staffing of the issue, uh, You know, and there's uh, it's basically the Clean Air Act has been driven by different staffs. We don't have to think about it. People are telling us what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. What has happened in the last few years in greenhouse gas has been the thing that does this. I think we're going into a consumer-driven uh, environmentalism which is very different, uh, uh, and technology allows us to do our own staff work. Uh, technology will probably allow us uh, not too distant future to make choices that absolutely change what's happening, not on a big scale, but on an individual scale, because of the cell phone, because of mapping, because of um, the Internet. All of those communication uh, pieces put together will allow us to make different choices as we're making choices. And uh, that is basically consumer-driven environmentalism. And I think that in the future is where we're going. There are going to be a lot of organizations who won't like that. They'll want to stay as staff-driven, and there'll be a lot of people that might not like that. They want to stay personality-driven. But basically, I think we're heading toward a consumer-driven environmentalism.
1: Well, and I think that for a lot of the folks that I... Talk to you all the time on Twitter, my green mommy bloggers out there. I would say that they probably believe we're already there because they talk about the power of the big green purse, uh, particularly when it comes to consumer goods, household goods. Um, there's already a movement out there um, in terms of you know a lot of women who make eighty percent of household purchases moving towards. Greener, more healthy products for their family and their home, and and beginning to change even what's on the shelves as right. we speak. And I think that it, it, it's it's kind of funny in a way that you know government and and bigger businesses in some ways are behind the power curve on on the green mommy bloggers and the and the green mommy purses. You know, I think right, that, right. that there's nothing like a, a mom who's protecting her cubs <laughs> to right. kind of lead the charge in what's good and what's healthy. So, you know, when people go out to your website, if they like what they see, how can they get involved in what the Green Tech Foundation is doing? Well, and the
2: green we're we're basically uh, a little think tank. We are taking on a few issues like goods movement in particular. We've been working with magnetic trucks and different ty- types of technologies that work and that exist but may, you know, need to be repackaged and so forth. So, uh there's a couple projects like that we've been involved in. So, um you know, in terms of the website, it's really kind of a brochure approach to tell people what we do and what we're about. I still am trying to look at how do you know how can we create you know a consumer driven uh, process or approach that will allow everybody to engage and those who don 't want to won't have to participate but I really feel like uh, a lot of things problem with technology is a lot of things change very quickly, so i 'm still not there in terms of what I think we can do that is you know, at the 60,000-foot level and can mm-hmm. throw right down to an individual address.
1: But I mm-hmm. expect to see something soon. You know. Have you gotten any pushback on this idea of a green economy? Is there anybody out there who finds what you're doing or the ideas that you're espousing objectionable?
2: No, not really. I mean, I think it's apple pie at this point. So that's good. I, in fact, I think the danger is that we just, you know, accept and assume everything. I think, you know, we have to kind of always examine stuff, but I'm not really getting any pushback. The economists get it, too. I think the pushback you get is whether we can really track it, whether we really know it, whether it really exists, you know.
1: Well, I love this idea that you have on your website about connecting the green dots. And we've got a couple of minutes before we go to break. Please explain this idea to our audience. What is this idea of connecting the green dots? Well,
2: the idea is this. Everybody... You know, We talk a lot about creating things that are going to solve our problems, and that is a good exercise. That's a good thing. In other words, we talk a lot about creating new dots, new green dots, and that's okay. But my belief is, right now, if we just connect the green dots we already have, we can make a tremendous difference. Example, energy conservation. Absolutely the fastest, most thorough, and complete way to address greenhouse gases reduction, and that's through uh, just not using it, and it saves you money, and it's good for the environment, and you uh, you know uh, don't waste as much either, I and mean, there's a whole bunch of benefits, but the fundamental idea is that to do that, you need to connect the green dots. You don't need to create a new dot. You just need to take what we already have and put it together.
1: Make it work. I love it. We'll, we'll be back with more Go Green Radio, folks. Please don't go away. More with Wally Baker when we return.
0: your world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at
3: www.covantaenergy.com. Hi, my name is Aaron, and I'm a survivor of mannequinism. Mannequinism is basically when you turn into a hard plastic shell. They say it's from not being politically active. For me, it started when I didn't register to vote, and then I stopped volunteering, and before I knew it, I wasn't doing anything. And that's when I found a small patch of plastic on my right shoulder.
1: Protect yourself from mannequinism. Log on to fightmannequinism.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council.
0: Do you know what the most complex piece of your business capital investment is? Is it the technology? Is it the infrastructure? Could it be the office and corporate structure? The most complex piece of your business capital investment is the human being. Return on Human Capital is a unique program that discusses some of the most important issues facing leaders in business. Join your hosts, Howard Pines and Jay Santa Maria, for Return on Human Capital, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America.
1: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Happy Friday to you. If you're just joining us, you have actually joined us at the perfect time because what we're going to wrap the show up with today is a segment on what I think is probably the crux of the whole debate when it comes to environmental protection and public policy. And we are very, very fortunate today to be joined by Wally Baker, chairman of the Green Tech Foundation. got to check out his website. It's www.tgtf.org. That's T-G-T-F. And we're going to be talking about something called the precautionary principle. Wally, I just want to thank you again for being on Go Green Radio with us today. Welcome back to this segment.
2: Really appreciate it, and I enjoy being with you.
1: Well, one of the board members for the Green Tech Foundation, Leon Billings, someone that, that many of us just have a tremendous amount of respect for, uh, anyone who knows what he's done and who he is would share that that feeling. But he mentions um, a concept that some of our Go Green Radio listeners might not be familiar with. It's called the precautionary principle. Explain this concept to our listeners, if you would, please. Well,
2: that is a really complicated uh, principle, but I can really, really, really simplify it. It is basically a principle that says, better safe than sorry. Mm-hmm. Look mm-hmm. before you leap. That's what it is. Now, how this has come to start in Germany, I guess, in households, as some approach to how they uh, took care of their households, but uh, it's evolved over time. It's always been there because, you know, Better safe than sorry, it's been around forever. You know, and it's kind of a saying, but it's a it's a true one. In the precautionary principle, especially as it relates to air quality and water quality, you're looking for the science that basically says if you do this you'll be okay. You know, this will be safe, this will be good, and there is this extra measure that you need to do for the science that you don't know about. So you have to do this, but you also have to be prepared to do something in the future. Uh, this doesn't just solve your problem for you. It solves it for you now, but because of the precautionary principle, you may have to take further measures in the future. That Those measures uh, in the future, that little extra piece, which is really where the precautionary principle comes in, uh, cannot be placed a value. A value can't be put on that. That has actually gone through uh, the court system, and uh, Scalia, nine-zero decision, said, no, you can't place a value on that. That little piece of additional uh, uh safety is, okay, it's required, and you can't trade that off. And a good example of this is our friends, the smelt in the Delta. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, this is the total debate between economic and environmental, and the real legal answer is that the economics of of one species or another is not—you can't place a dollar value on that. And that's, that's where, where you all get, the arguments arise. <laughs> yeah, well, but that's where you get the uh, endangered species are like that. Uh, You can say, oh, my God, they're going to shut down this. Oh, it's okay. We can't place some monetary value on that. We're better safe than sorry. Mm -hmm. And and that's the crux of it. And I would say that's where all the debate always comes back to, whether you buy better safe than sorry. And the courts have all upheld that, in fact, uh, you only use science. And if you find uh, science down the road that would disprove the other science, then you can – it has to be pretty darn conclusive to, to change that. And that burden is on the person who's trying to change it. It's not on the people or the, or, or the policy that was better safe than sorry.
1: Well, and there's a couple of different applications to the precautionary mm-hmm. principle, um, one being that for manufacturers who are bringing a new product to the marketplace, if they're required to follow the precautionary principle, then they would have to demonstrate that their product is safe and will do no harm to the public, um, which is a little bit of the reverse of what we see sometimes in the U.S. where it, the onus is on the consumer to prove that a product has caused harm, like BPA and baby bottles and that sort of thing. Um, you see sort of a grassroots uh, pushback on certain products.
2: Well, like, but you see, that's, that's, that's where the science comes in. Right. When they created that product, it was based on science because we wouldn't allow it to come in the marketplace. Over time, other science has evolved to disprove, like baby bottles. Disprove, hey, that's not true. Right. We can have a little bit of debate about whether we buy the new science or not, but that's when these things can get reversed. It's because other sciences, other, you know, other knowledge comes along and shoots you down in, in what you thought you had done as a product, as a precautionary principle.
1: Well, and the interesting thing is that, um, you know, it's one thing when you talk about it in a a product and a manufacturing process. Very different when you talk about it when you're talking about public policy because, as you and I both know, a lot of, you know, elected officials at every level uh, hang their hat on all the policies and all the legislation or ordinances they're able to write and tell their voters, this is why you should re-elect me because I did all these great policy pieces. And just this week I had a conversation with someone that you might call a policy wonk, and actually that's not an insult to true policy wonks. They aren't offended by that. And I suggested that the precautionary principle be applied to public policy the same way that it's applied to the introduction of new products and chemicals. In other words, before a new policy can be introduced, it's got to be proven that it would do no harm to the environment or public health. And this policy person said that could never happen. Um, You know, that would be too cumbersome that if somebody wanted to, you know, introduce a new policy and they had to prove that it would have no effect, um, on the environment or on humans, you know, that, that would just be too cumbersome. What do you think about that, Wally?
2: Well, I think that's actually happening quite a bit where, um, you know, that's part of argumentation where, you know, you say this and here's my proof and you say that and here's my proof, you know. And, uh, you know, frankly, um, every group goes out to get the scientists to prove they're right, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't disagree with you that you couldn't have that apply to public policy, but I think it's sort of, uh, when they do policy, they definitely try to use science, and yes, they may be selective about the science or scientists that they use, there's no question about that, both sides want to get the, right, the answer they want, in the policy arena at least, and uh, so I think that's kind of happening. But I don't think it's like uh you're kind of saying the precautionary principle should be, you know, legal standing and it should be based on science plus a little uh cushion. And, you know, in terms of policy, that might not be the worst idea in the world. It'll make it um, – I think it's true it might make it cumbersome, but on another level – uh that's just, you know, cumbersome is a function of how close is the ability to do something to the authority to do something. If there's a great deal of distance, then that's cumbersome. That's called bureaucracy, you know. It and if it's really democracy. close, that's <laughs> called communism, you know, where right. the same person makes it, and you then face corruption as an outcome of too much power and ability at the same level. So I, I don't think you're off on that. I just think that, uh, I, and I think we kind of do that, but we don't always use science. That's
1: kind well, of and we and we oftentimes are very parochial in our thinking as well. In other words, if we can prove it doesn't have an ill effect in this little bitty area of the world that we're talking about, it doesn't mean it isn't going to have a catastrophic effect, you know, two counties over or two countries over. And, you know, if if the precautionary principle were were really in place, we wouldn't have quote-unquote unintended consequences like we've seen in, in public policy of late Um, I agree with you. I agree.
2: And, you know, a perfect example of that to me where we could use what you're talking about is in California we want renewable energy. Mm -hmm. But, boy, don't try to build it here. Right. Exactly. The the zoning is
1: where it all breaks down. So we're going to have
2: this conflict between two environmental critical path issues. And uh, that's where the precautionary principle really could help us if we could get our heads around it.
1: That's right. Well, Wally, it was great having you on Go Green Radio today. I really want to thank you for joining us. I hope you'll come back. Folks, we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 Pacific, noon to 1 Eastern, and I hope that you'll come back for more Go Green Radio, same place, next week. Thanks so much for joining us for Go Green Radio.